there's an understanding of time which is I'm drawing on a philosopher here. Is that a, is that Yeah, a, who, which philosopher? Henri Bergson. So Bergson talks about time as something you can't measure in artificial sort of coded or mathematical ways. In other words, a moment can't be sort of contained neatly by the time and place in which it is pinned. In fact, you can't pin it. On Facebook and Instagram, the estimation is that every 24 hours we have going up approximately 400 million photographs. The photograph is meant to be a static moment, and visually it is. But when you encounter a photograph, you will always encounter it with whatever layers of memory and experience have built up between the period of the photograph being taken and the moment of looking at it. The experience of the photograph is one where you understand how much change takes place because here is this image of something that is still and seems to be exactly as it was but here is this knowledge that it's never going to be that way again in fact that moment is very much gone listening to Think Digital Futures. My name is Shane Anderson and this episode we're going to be taking a closer look at something that's often difficult to focus in on. Time and the ways we try to capture it with technology. The voice you'll be hearing in this episode is Tara McLennan, a postdoctoral student from the University of Technology Sydney and this is in a way an adaptation of her thesis called Photography's Album. My father started putting together a family album shortly after he was diagnosed with a very slow-burning form of lymphoma. It's uh, one of those things that makes a person reflect on how, how the past has unfolded. And his response was, of course, to, to seek narrative in, in photographs from his childhood and growing up. My father started putting My father began with the attic. He has a small apartment, he and my mum. And the attic is sort of where everything is gathered and boxes and disarray. My mum often jokes about how one day the whole thing's going to come through the ceiling because there's so much up there. To seek narrative in photographs from his childhood and growing up. Basically, he was going through all these boxes and assorted photographs and and trying to pull together a narrative and using elephant grip glue to stick these things in. Everyone has a very different way of relating to photographs. Even for one person, you will interact with a photo one way once, but if you come across it again in another context, it'll have a different resonance. And so for my mum, 
Her response to photographs is quite visceral. She likes to keep them almost in a sacred way, kept in boxes and unfixed. My mum, she was concerned because she wondered if he was going to regret some of his decisions. Because once you fix something in with elephant grip glue, then it's stuck. The story is stuck. What's elephant grip glue? It's overkill. (laughs) (laughs) It's total overkill. My grandfather holding my grandmother tight as she deliberately goes limp into studio wedding photos. Their honeymoon on a large cruise boat. Amateur shots taken around an Adelaide home. The birth of two brothers. The family dog, Ginger. Lanky adolescence. Freckle-spotted boys' pool faces to avoid the camera's penetrating gaze. family dog, Ginger. This is a story of Lewis Thornton Powell, born April 22, 1844, died July 7, 1865. He grew up in Alabama. He liked caring for sick animals. As a teenager, he enlisted in the Confederate Army, where he proved to be good at shooting to kill. After a while, he was shot himself, captured and sent to an army hospital, soon to escape again and join a group of rangers. He deserted them and headed to Baltimore. It was there he met John Wilkes Booth, who recruited him in his plot to assassinate President Abraham Lincoln. Powell, now known as Lewis Payne, attempted to assassinate Secretary of State William H. Seward. He failed, was captured and executed along with three other conspirators, July 7, 1865. A photo was taken of him shortly before he died. So he's in prison and he's slumped against a wall. He's got his hands tied. He's, he's waiting for the end. It's a very poignant image because when you experience it, you can see something that is about to happen, but it's already happened because it's in the past. There's a name for this experience of remembering, of the rush of immediacy tinged with a sense of loss, that moment where a memory is both alive and long gone. Memento, from the Latin memento mori. Remember you will die. My My father started started putting together a family album shortly after he was diagnosed with... There are a number of photographs. Um, was at the registry door, and the registry door is quite a nice door. How the past has unfolded. She had a a yellow folkloric dress with flowers, um, and she was sort of spinning around because she's a dancer and she can spin. <laughs> and um, that's what I can see. Well, I'm I'm Andrew McLennan, and. Um, my daughter, Tara McLennan, has uh, achieved uh, a PhD. I worked for 37 years at the ABC after a sort of rather nondescript career in the theatre. What are some of the photos that, that stand out for you? Well, the wedding itself <laughs> was pretty bizarre. My father had said, 
well, why, why don't you get married? I mean, you know. And I said, well, what for? Oh, what, you, you want me to legitimise the child? He said, well, yes, it'd be nice if she was legitimate. And then he finally said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll give you a television set. <laughs> we said, done. <laughs> what else would you like to know? I like the album because I made it. <laughs> I kind of like my makings, <laughs> the things that I make, even though they've been halted. Um, I'm, um, I'm decaying, as they say. You can hear it in my voice, and um, I've been decaying since 2000. He'd finished one album, and... Because Mum was very cautious about having a fixed story, he'd sort of stopped. I wanted to understand the tension in that desire to fix something, fix a story in place. And I said, well, maybe there's a way you can tell this story that addresses both her desire for unfixity and your desire for fixity. Why don't we look at some of your photos together and we'll make an Insta story. So today I'm going to be giving you some tips on how to take the best selfie. The selfie game has gotten so much more intense. And may your selfies be amazing. <laughs> Every 24 hours, we have 400 million photographs going up on Facebook and Instagram. I suspect that number is even outdated already. Make sure you have a selfie or front camera ready. Otherwise, it's not really a selfie. It's immediate and the feedback is immediate as well. So you'll upload a photograph at a party. Someone that you don't know in Brazil will like it you know, within the next 20 minutes. It's a very different way of socially experiencing photography. There's a very interesting way of looking at it in terms of what's called co-presence as a way of saying that you could feel a sense of togetherness with others across time and space in a way that was quite different to reflecting back on a photograph together later. It gives you a feeling that you're part of this image-making network that is crossing boundaries in, in ways that analogue photography didn't exactly do. That is, that's it. That's, that's it. <laughs> Instagram came up with Insta Stories and it came about because people were deleting their photographs they were deleting them from their profiles if they didn't get enough likes. The platform acknowledged that that was a, a big enough issue to design something new that said, don't worry, you don't have to worry about this. It's not stuck in time. You can get rid of it. In fact, you can enjoy getting rid of it. It lasts for 24 hours and then it's gone. My father started putting together a family album shortly. There are a number of photographs um, at the registry.
First of all, she started to explain Instagram, which was a photograph that's taken and, and disappears. And um, so she said, could I show her some photographs? And she'd choose a, a bunch of them and turn them into a story. How did you both decide which photos? I, I essentially asked Dad to tell me another form of transient story. I just said, could you take me through your pictures and I'll just listen and I'll just look. And I took very vague notes and just uh, noticed which ones seemed to have the most effect. Oh. The way you looked for a bit longer or something oh. like that. Many of them have an effect. Otherwise, I wouldn't have taken them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can take millions of photographs. So Mm -hmm. I've got some very banal photographs. You've sent me a selfie after you had um, a skin graft on your forehead. Yes. You had a a cancer taken out there, and you sent me a selfie pulling a ridiculous face. (laughs) I, I am prone to pulling faces, that's true. My grandfather holding my grandmother tight as she deliberately goes on a honeymoon on a large cruise boat versus two brothers, lanky adolescents. So I went into the attic with my dad. It's kind of like a little ritual, isn't it? A ritual space. Everything's in the attic. Everything's in my attic. I've actually accumulated too much to be able to apprehend it all. I went up and looked at various photos, and they're quite nice photos. I realised I had heaps of them on the, on the computer. They're all to do with sort of family hopes and family losses. I, I used my account and I showed it to Dad afterwards, the slideshow that was going to depart. When you put together the ones that really have a puncture, that they, they pierce you somehow, and you watch them in a short sequence. It's actually quite an intense experience. <laughs> and he looked very puzzled. And he said, okay, well, we'll see what happens. So <laughs> showed it to you and showed it to mum. Did you? Yeah, Gosh. I did. It's a funny question when you're thinking, where is it memory and where is it returning to the past in, in a more accurate way? I don't think it's ever accurate as such. I think it's always, in some ways, a work of fiction. My father started putting together. You're part of this image-making network. I like the album because I made it. (laughs) In ways that analogue photography didn't think. Things that I make. We didn't include any photographs following his diagnosis. It wasn't on purpose. It was just that we didn't feel inclined to take pictures when we were aware of what what was going on in his body. Although for him, he sort of said to me at one point, he said, oh, it's a shame we don't have any pictures of me in the chemo chair. And I said, well, we wouldn't want to take pictures of that. And he said, well, why not? It's part of everything. 
it kind of threw me in some ways. At the same time, it got me thinking that photographs have often been taken in situations where people are grappling to understand what's happening to them. So those sorts of Facebook slideshows. There was one year in review slideshow where someone had a a photograph of their house burning down returned to them as a memory, you know, in nostalgic style. You know, lots of confetti images and pictures of people dancing around this house that was burning down. The networker who'd uploaded that found that really confronting, but also they had taken the photograph because they needed to feel some connection to what was happening or perhaps some disconnection as well. Yeah, photography has often looked at things that make us feel vulnerable, perhaps. And they still use that way. People take selfies at funerals now. Have you been on Instagram since? No. Why? <laughs> well, what would I do with it? <laughs> no, I haven't. Should I? <laughs> My father wanted me to find a way of keeping it. So he watched it and he was very moved and he said, is there some way we can keep it as a slideshow? You know, I'd like to have some way of returning to it. And I said, I'm sure there is, but not through Insta stories. So I, uh, I should do that for him, actually. listening to Think Digital Futures. This show is supported by the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER and broadcast right across Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to find out more about the show, we have a website. It is 2SER.com slash thinkdigitalfutures. But we are also a podcast, so if you want to hear more stories about technology and culture, hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, don't just sit there. Write a review, share us on Twitter, get in touch. You'll be supporting independent community radio and it will make you feel good. This show is recorded at 2SER Radio in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Thanks to Tara McLennan and Andrew McLennan for their time and patience with this episode. Theme music is by Joe Koning and you heard music throughout by Lee Rosevere and Silicon Transmitter. I'm Shane Anderson. Thanks for listening.